losing someone or something, as in the case of a pet, is a traumatic experience. It leaves you feeling hollowed out, guilty, lost, and a million other things. We have to grapple with if we could have done something, or what other course of action could we have taken, or why even me? What does God say about this, and how does the Bible give us wisdom in such a season? I aim to tackle this and to present to you some unique insights into our case study in loss and grief. Well, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. Alrighty, good morning everyone, or afternoon or evening. Oh wait, I said that I said that I would use a good day. So good day, everybody. Without diving into analysis facts and breakdowns, let me give you a synopsis from the book of Ruth about the life of Naomi and Ruth. Right? So Ruth starts with sadness, first of all. Essentially, a famine racks Bethlehem and Naomi with her husband. Elimelech, go to Moab with their two sons. Now, time passes and the husbands of Naomi and her son's wives pass and they are left alone. Naomi decides to go back to Judah to find God, but Ruth goes with her. This is like a small synopsis. Ruth and Naomi arrive in Bethlehem and Ruth begins to help with the harvesting with harvesting the fields of barley owned by Boaz, who, who actually is part of Naomi's family. Boaz sees this and blesses her, stating, I have had a complete account of what you have done for your mother-in-law after your husband's death. You have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom previously you did not know. May the Lord reward you what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And that's in Ruth 2, 11-12. Boaz allows her to harvest extra, right, after this happens, which gives her extra food and extra income. After this, Naomi instructs Ruth to go to Boaz to show her lo- to show her loyalty, like Ruth's loyalty to Boaz and to doing the right thing. Boaz rewards Naomi and Ruth with Naomi's late husband's land, and Ruth happily marries Boaz. What's even cooler? I will explain what I mean in that story, but Boaz and Ruth's blessed union eventually results in the birth of David, the eventual king of Israel. Now, let's reflect back on that synopsis a little bit. Now, what does this story mean? Well, let's look at this. There's an extreme famine in Bethlehem, and I don't know if you've ever gone hungry, but famine is no joke. I actually think it's one of the four horsemen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so famine's no joke. Being hungry is is no joke, especially over the case of an entire land like that. So, with this being said, um, instead of starving, Naomi's family goes to Moab, a place deemed less than by the Israelites. Now, imagine that, right? Going to a land that doesn't have your people's respect and to abandon your family possessions and such. Not cool. Now, let's not forget the land of Canaan it's a sacred land for the Israelites, right? That was given to them as an inheritance by God. Moab is was not a land that worshipped God. And furthermore, leaving the land that is sacred 
not only for being an inheritance like I just mentioned, but also this made it very difficult to practice one's faith as an Israelite. Now, imagine the difficulty in worshiping the Christian God in an Eastern nation like China, where there are tons of different faiths or an outright ban on certain religions. It would not be easy, right? So she's forsaken all this for a better life. Now, Naomi's family doesn't just move to Moab. They actually stay there, and her two sons marry Moabites. Um, Naomi then has to face being hopeless, losing her husband and sons. Just imagine. She just has her daughter-in-laws, right? And that's three women alone without their spouses to comfort them and to protect them and be with them, especially as this wasn't the 20th century. Now, Naomi, in her grief, even changes her name to Mara, or Mara, to show how she believes God has forsaken her, right? Fast forward and hope blossoms and that Ruth goes with Naomi, turned Mara, turned back Naomi. This shows us the value of companionship in grief. Then, instead of being all sad and stuff, Ruth works hard in the fields, providing for Naomi and herself, right? What a great example for us. Now let's look at this example a little bit deeper now. What can we learn from this? We can learn that even in going through Naomi's grief cycle, though she was despondent, she resolves to not wallow in her grief, but to initiate action. So in her faith in God, she decides to go back to the Israelite lands to change up her situation, right? She believes in the Lord afterwards enough to begin working for Ruth's good, trying to get her with Boaz so as to provide for her. I just want to say, I mentioned how King David was sprung from the union of Ruth and Boaz throughout all this tragedy. You know who also comes from the line of David? Jesus. Yes, you heard me right. A story of grief, loss, wondering, and bad situation results in the bequeathing of a legacy wherein Naomi's faith in God results in David's line existing, all according to God's plan, and resulting in the birth of Jesus, the salvation of all humanity which to me is pretty cool. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but it's pretty awesome, right? So let's kind of transition here. There are some out there that would say that we are being, um, that we are to be, you know, optimistic, happy-go-lucky, smiling caricatures at all times because God is great, right? Everything's hunky-dory. Don't worry. Just have faith. It'll all be fine. Let's, let's laugh and sing and, and, and be merry. I think they're wrong. There is nothing wrong with being sad with taking time to internalize what has happened to you externally and to those around you. Heck, I don't see a problem with blaming God. Trust me, he is strong enough to take it, right? And before I expound on that, let me give you some pertinent verses, right? So uh, Psalms 34, 17 through 20 states, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, you're not weak to mourn, guys, right? To cry, to be pitiful, to even mope around sometimes if you need to. Let me tell you why. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 states, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians also states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, now how awesome is that, right? We are, we are called to comfort those in affliction, right? So it's not just that you should be working to get out of your, out of your slump, as I mentioned um, in like one of the previous weeks, but it's, it's that like we're meant to serve others, which means that we're also not meant to sit here and fix them. That's, that's not how that works. But we're meant to comfort them, which means basically abiding with them. Which means that they're sitting there crowned on the porch, you can try to fix them or you could just be there with them. Right? But it's okay to recognize that it's all right to be in grief. That is an okay thing. Now, let's circle back to where I was mentioning about blaming God and what that means. See, God can take your blame. I mean, heck, like he took on all of our sin, right? Everyone's sin. Besides, if you can blame God, you can believe in him. It's hard to say God doesn't exist, right? Or that you don't care about him when you can blame him for stuff. That doesn't really work out that way, right? Let me give you um, this great insight that is helping me out in my grief. So one step in overcoming grief is having the right perspective on it, right? First, we need to recognize that grief is a natural response to pain and loss. There's nothing wrong with mourning all at all. Second, we know that times of grief serve a purpose, right? So Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. This verse implies that um, grief can be good because it can refresh our perspective on life. Thirdly, we remember that feelings of grief are temporary, right? Um, that's why it's important to engage in mourning so that you can get over that period. Because if not, then you're just postponing it, honestly. Right, so Psalms 35 states, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. There is an end to mourning, okay? Grief has its purpose, but also its limit. And what's, and what's kind of scientific about that is normally if you have a good bit of emotional maturity or you have some some ways of compartmentalizing what you're doing is you're basically like regulating the chemicals in your body see grief and you know sadness that kind of stuff that is a that's your body's response to grief in a lot of ways and that's that like that's an outpouring of chemicals right so i think about it this way when those chemicals are then you know, thrust upon you or like you allow them to, to come forth, you know, you like you actually dwell on your sadness. What you're doing is that you are flushing yourself with those chemicals. But what's even cooler is that you, like your body's designed so that after those chemicals rush in, other ones come to regulate you. Right? So that's why oftentimes like you'll get out of a really good cry and then you'll feel really, really good afterwards. So like you'll feel kind of refreshed because like you allowed your body to go through those chemicals and then like you allowed your body to do its job and to refresh you and to balance back out those chemicals. 
Just saying, there's a lot of reasons like to engage in crying and sadness. And I'll get more than that later on. Um, I would encourage you to dialogue with God in this season of grief, if that's you. And use it as a way to open that bridge of communication with Him. And even if, if, it's not a, if this doesn't really pertain to you now, this does or, or might pertain to somebody like around you. So why not dialogue with God, right? It, it doesn't cost you anything to talk with Him. You know, He did create the air you're breathing, right? So use it on Him. I'm sure He will appreciate it. And that is a form of worship, honestly here. You don't have to sing happy songs. You don't have to praise Him with happy words or or anything else spunky to really worship God. Using his air that he placed in your lungs to talk to him is worship. So, coincidentally, even the unbelievers who curse God or talk about him negatively are testing to him because they're using his air. Now try to like wrap, wrap your head around that. God created all of this, guys. Um, and he's honestly in charge of it. And that's really important to realize is that worship doesn't just mean this happy-go-lucky phrase. It's not. Like worship can be even in sadness. Just sitting alone with God and just being sad, you know, and, and intentionally spending time with Him, that's worship. That's spending time with your Creator. And that's something that you should engage in if you get a chance to. Just be still and listen. Now, let me give you a list of positive qualities to embody. Um during your grief or when that time comes for you as given by Walter Wangeren or Wangeren. So first know the grief process, but know the griever even more. What does he mean by this? Basically this means that if you're going to be with someone who's grieving, you've got to view them, view them as a person and not an objective, right? Um, during a loss of mind, I'll talk about like in a little bit this week, my wife showed this quality in that while I was sobbing and sad and that kind of stuff, instead of giving me a pep talk, she just sat with me. And that honestly meant more to the world to me. Um, that meant more to me in this world than having somebody give me platitudes and such. Now second, you've got to make peace with your own death and, and with death itself, right? You can't sit here and have this unhealthy fear of death or this, I would say, a conscious forgetfulness of how real death actually is. You know, whether it comes for you, your loved ones, or your, or your pets. Knowing that, and then knowing the fact that death does come for us all, is, is honestly a good piece, because, and especially if you're saved. Especially if you believe that Jesus Christ um, you know, did die for your sins, and that God is the God of the world. What's cool is that when you go, you're instantly in heaven. And when that love, and when that loved one comes and goes, that they're in heaven as well. And so it's important to realize that that's not really an end; it's just a beginning, which really might give you some peace with it. Now, he goes on to say in point three: Do not expect gratitude, meek obedience, rational behavior, or thanks. Expect nothing for yourself. Right, um, as, as my wife Kayla did, you know, she didn't expect me to thank her afterwards. She didn't expect me to give her a list of demands to make me feel better. She didn't expect me to act in a rational manner. Um, she was just there. 
And I think honestly, in our normal lives, if we can engage in that sort of thinking all the time, that, that might actually help you out in the long run. Fourthly, you are not expected to fix the mortal break, but to companion the broken. You know, like enough said, like we've already mentioned that one. And then point five, the presence is more important than any solution you might propose. Stay with them, abide. And that's something that we've mentioned as well, is that I've mentioned, I don't know who he is, but you know, people always do that. Um, just being there often is enough. In fact, I would encourage people that there seems to be a, a, a trend where people organize events or parties to make them feel better or to really control something in their life. Cause that's, that's honestly what it is. When, when people organize events during times in which they're emotionally unstable are just period. That's them trying to, that's them trying to control things. Right? So if someone like invites you over, it's easy to want to take control of like the situation or to keep the party going. Oftentimes just being there is enough. See, people people do want to talk. Like you may know somebody who's super quiet, but oftentimes you might find yourself gaining more through life from being a really good listener. Now, what does that mean? That means abiding. That means being there for somebody. That means being like willing to just, just be there. I mean, even if you're just sitting there like reading a book on your phone, companionship is important. I mean, there, there's a reason why humans have been domesticating animals for like millennia, you know? Um, Having the dog, you know, <laughs> having your companion, having your cat, having your your horse, you know, whatever. That's your companion. That's somebody who abides with you. And oftentimes, it's like they're the best companions because they don't say anything. Like there's a reason for that. It's mentioned all the time in country songs. So, kind of moving on. Um, this week, my family lost one of our dogs, which was really hard because she was young. And you don't really get that feeling back. And it's one thing to have to deal with a death secondhand. And it's, a second, and it's another thing to deal with it firsthand. A big point to remember is that, and this isn't callous in any way, but pets are just pets, right? Like they're not humans. It's not good to value the life of a human, a pet over a human. Right, but it's not okay to just like devalue the life of a pet at all. It's important to mourn for your pets as well. You pour your life into these things. You know, um, these dogs and these cats and these, and these pets that we have, you extend a lot of humanity to them. And oftentimes they can reciprocate that, you know, that humanity pretty well. They can comfort you or like, or like recognize when you're sad or they can be there for you when you're happy and they can make you, they can rejuvenate your energy in the day. And that's a good thing. But it's also important to realize that if you are grieving an animal, one way out of it could be to celebrate a human, right? To think back on what that animal made you feel and on who you have a similar connection with, if you would do it at all. And then if not, to kind of seek that out. Like for instance, it's okay to go to a church or go to your friends and be like, you know, can I just be here? Because A, it gives them a chance to learn how to abide. And B, it kind of gives you a chance to 
reorient yourself like with companionship because losing something and losing someone that's something getting cut away from you that hurts and so there's got to be a way to rekindle what you had before in as healthy a, a manner as possible now what does that look like what that looks like is allowing yourself to grieve that's why I encourage you whether it's from like a lost job or whether it's from a lost animal or like a lost person to let yourself think on what you've lost and what it means to you but then to move on to communicate with God and to really seek out that you know that, that perspective talk with the guy of course he's not a guy he's God but like, you know what I mean vocalize yourself begin to externalize yourself go find someone to serve Find some way to externalize what's happening internally in as healthy a manner as possible. Or get out there and then just be there for somebody. You know, even if you're mourning, like you can still abide in someone else as well. So I encourage y'all again to go out there and to love someone, to be as selfless as possible, and to find that joy there in the world. Because I'm I'm telling you, sadness does come, but happiness is so much greater. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. Super tiny update. I'm getting everything changed over so that we can have like a better process on the website. Um, I appreciate all those who donate and those who keep this show running. Thank you for your time and your effort. Y'all have a blessed day and Godspeed.